Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You're hit on the blue mic. First mistake of the day. The blue mic. You're on the green mic. Sheer, you're on the green mic. Hello, everyone. We're back. We're getting. I was it. on the right, wrong mic. You were on the wrong mic. You were on the wrong mic. I'm like, you never pick that mic. It's the blue I mic. I know. What's going on? <laughs> it's been a crazy day. Um, this week uh, has just been wild already. I, I don't think we've had a, a, a crazier week than this week, um, just because it's just a lot going on in the world. The news is really showing us a lot uh, today, and yeah, it's just it's a lot. So we're it trying is. to adjust and uh, trying to get cheer on our right mic. Well, yeah. How, how how do you live your normal day life when there's the tragedy that happened in Atlanta? And you know, yeah. yesterday I was talking to Sophia Lee, who's a journalist and who's spoken out about her own experience with anti-Asian racism. She's been on the show before and we literally had our Instagram live before this happened. And it's already because there has been incidents of this, right? Yeah. And now it's led to this breaking point. And so, of course, we're going to be talking more about this today, all the updates as they happen and how we can all be allies to our Asian community while uh, anti-Asian violence continues. And how can we put this to an end? And so uh, continue hanging out with us because in actually 30 minutes, we have May Lee, who's an amazing journalist, who is actually a former CNN anchor on the show. And she's going to be joining us to have that conversation because why are they not calling it a hate crime? Why is that happening? And what are the discussions that we need to be focusing on right now to create a change? Plus, it's a big day for the LGBTQ plus community. The Equality Act, um, it's being looked at right now. And GLAAD President and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis is joining us to discuss all of that and more. Yeah, in the midst of the storm, there's still a little bit of light. Exactly. 3.45 p.m. Pacific, 6.45 p.m. Eastern right here on Let's Go There. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Cherokee County Sheriff's Office Captain Jay Baker spoke at a press conference today on the Atlanta shooting suspect who killed eight people last night. Investigators, they interviewed him this morning and I, uh, they got that impression that yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it and he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope and, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him and this is what he did. Remorseful? Uh, I'm not going to go to, I don't know if he was remorseful or not. He's a pretty young guy with your so yeah, the the focus right now it's. It, We're not going to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, no, I was going to say the focus right now, the fact that it he was had a sex addiction, addiction, and it's a temptation that he wanted to eliminate, and like we're focusing on that versus focusing on the fact that it was he, he is a domestic terrorist and it was a hate crime. That was just a piece of that story. 
they just said that he said that he was having a bad day. The fact that law enforcement could get into that press conference and say that this guy, this domestic terrorist, was having a bad day. Plenty of people have bad days. They don't go out killing folks. This was a hate crime. This was a racist act and mm-hmm. rooted in white supremacy. And the fact that we can't name it what it is it what it is. is a problem. Mm-hmm. And the sympathy card that we saw law enforcement uh, pull there is really uh, a prime example of what white supremacy is. Yep, and former President Barack Obama is also speaking out about it, calling for an end to anti-Asian violence after the shooting happened in Atlanta. He posted this on his uh, social media. Even as we've battled the pandemic, we've continued to neglect the longer lasting epidemic of gun violence in America. Although the shooter's motive is not yet clear, the identity of the victims underscores an alarming rise in anti-Asian violence that must end. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so I wanted to keep it a little bit light in the first hour. This hilarious uh, story, speaking of the Obamas, uh, Michelle Obama, she shut down Jimmy Kimmel in the best way after asking a sex question during their interview. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Jimmy Kimmel is determined to find out what, if anything, went down in the Obama's bedroom the night that SEAL Team 6 took down Osama bin Laden. And let me tell you this, Michelle was not playing that game. Now, this isn't the first time he's asked her this during, um, he actually asked her during a book tour stop back in 2019. She sidestepped the question at that time before he even asked Barack Obama himself the same question in 2020. But, uh, Um, Here is her hilarious response uh, that happened last night. You know, I have to tell your your audience that for some very sick reason, Uh you are very obsessed with this portion of that major historical event. Yes. In a way that no one else, no one in the history of all the conversations I've had, Uh anybody drilled down on this particular point (laughs) like you. I mean, imagine asking the former first lady about her sex life. Like, that is just so weird and just feels really off limits. I think it goes back to our obsession with them as a couple. And we think they're this, like, couple goal. So you kind of just, like, want to get a sense of what's happening. I think it goes back to our obsessions with people's genitalia. We really should just mind our business. But that's just me. (laughs) That's just me. I feel like that's a root up to a lot of issues. Um, But I just don't want to know what's happening in their bedroom. It honestly feels like your parents asking your parents what their sex like I'm this. interested to know if Barack is good at men. Why? I feel. What is that really? I think he's in? like really charming. And I think he's really sexy. I don't know. That don't feels a little. Obama's I think he's sexy, but I don't know. I feel like just because I am like it's not like I think about it like all a, the time. It's just like it's like he's like a really uh, accomplished, amazing man. So it's like anything that if you have someone you're attracted to, you yeah, might randomly be like, I wonder what they like in bed. I just put them in, I put him and her in a different category that I just, I, I it, it feels like they're America's parents. I also wonder like Jay-Z and Beyonce, like what are they like in bed? Seems like you're fetishizing people and it's kind of gross. Um, <laughs> I mean, if maybe you are in a, if you are in a relationship, I might wonder what that's Don't like. fetishize, those, those are four black people that you've already fetishized. And Vanessa! <laughs> Don't try to I mean, this is weird because you're my friends. It's a bit different when it's not We got to wrap. That's your team report. I got more coming up next hour. Oh, <laughs> Now, uh, coming up, uh, some of you might have gotten your stimulus checks. Some of you might have not. But what should you be looking out for? We get into that next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The IRS said there were 90 million direct deposits made. That's $242.2 billion deposited today on March 17th. Uh, but what if you're eligible and didn't get that money? What happens now? Bill, is, how is that possible? That was from this, uh, by the way, this Washington Post article. Actually. $242 billion? That doesn't make Well, sense. we have our guests on here. I but know. Actually, my mom called me today. Um, because there's so many stimulation uh, stipulations on on these um, these stimulus checks, mm-hmm. right? Where my mom didn't even get the full fourteen hundred. She didn't really read the fine print. It's up to fourteen hundred, and it was about like two hundred dollars off. What? Um, she only got she got like a prorated amount. So How y'all, if you miss they? the fine print of this entire thing, the rules have changed, and our expert is here yeah. to help us. Well, Michelle Singletary, who actually wrote that post about this. Uh, she writes the nationally syndicated personal finance column, The Color of Money, at the Washington Post. Joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, so let's get into this. This up to $1,400. Is that true? Is that what people are seeing? Yeah, so, you know, if you're, you're eligible for the full 1400 and it's all based on your adjusted gross income, so there's levels. So if you make $75,000 or less, you're entitled to the full 1400 It's $112,500,000 if individuals filing head of household and 150 for couples filing jointly. Um, now, there's, uh, as you said in your, in your beginning, you know, there, you can get some of that knocked off if your income goes above that. And there's a hard stop, um, unlike the other payments. So once you hit 80000 and you file as an individual, you get no payment. And if you make 120 as head of household, you get no, you don't get the $1,400. Um, and then it's 160000 if you married filing a joint return. So I guess, why were some people able to access their money earlier than today? Yeah, lots of people were thinking there's something nefarious going on. It was not. Yeah. So some, what happened is some institutions could afford to basically advance the money to their customers. So, you know, it might have been a small bank that says, hey, you know, we know the government's good for it, so we're going to go ahead and let you have access to the money. But technically the banks, um, credit unions, didn't get the money from the IRS until today, the 17th. So there wasn't anything, you know, going on, nothing funky going on. It's just that some institutions said, you know, we, we're going to let people get this money now because we probably know they need it. But if you think about it, larger institutions um, who have, you know, millions of customers, that would be a lot of money on the hook. And so they just waited till the IRS actually transferred the money into the bank system. Got it. And is the system working online? I know you can go to the IRS website and check the status and everything. Have they been having any issues? You know, they've had issues all three rounds. So you can go to irs.gov and click on the link for Get My Payment, and you can check the status of your payment. Now, some people, because their returns haven't fully processed or maybe their 2019 return has been held up, will get these messages that, you know, there's not enough information. We can't determine your eligibility. It does not mean that you're not going to get a payment. It just means that the IRS is still updating your system, and they may not have gotten to you. The problem is when you announce like a round, everybody panics because if they're not in that first 
a batch, they think they're not going to get a payment. But, you, you know, people have to understand the law just passed last Thursday. So this is the first round. And I know people are desperate for the money, but, you know, you got to be patient, right? There's millions of payments they've got to process. Um, and that if you didn't get it in this first round, you didn't get it today, does not mean that you're not going to get it. You could, you know, the, the IRS is probably waiting to send out another batch probably the end of this week, next week. So, okay. you know, just got to be a little patient. Yeah, meditate. Well, I don't know if financial stress really requires patience, but I, I, I get what you're saying. The app can help. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, when well, you're freaking out trying to figure out how to go get food on the table. Your debt. So right. Don't no the Calm app. Terry, thank you so much. Check out her column in the Washington Post. It's called The Color of Money. Thanks again. Now, the domestic terrorist attack that killed eight people yesterday at Atlanta Spash should be called what it is, a hate crime against the Asian community. Yet why isn't the media covering it in that way? What you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The 21-year-old suspect in shootings at three Atlanta-area spas has been charged with four counts of murder and one count of aggravated assault. The horrific attacks Tuesday left eight people dead, including six Asian women. Many, including us, are calling it what it is, a hate crime against the Asian community and Asian Americans. And authorities have said that it is too early to be certain that the shootings were not racially motivated. And joining us right now is May Lee, the host of The May Lee Show and a veteran journalist. Thanks so much for being here. Yes, it's my pleasure. Good to be here. And it's heartbreaking uh, talking about this and the fact that this has happened. It's come to this after the history we've seen of anti-Asian violence. What has come up for you over the past 24 hours? Oh, boy, what hasn't? I mean, it has been a shock, of course. We're angry. We're frustrated. Um, A lot of Asians are living in even more fear now Mm. uh, because, you know, as you know, this has been going on for over a year now since COVID began. But you know, Asian racism has been a long-standing issue in America, and that goes back to the you know 1800s. So, racism against Asians is nothing new, but it's the explosiveness now that's happening that is, you know, mind-blowing to everyone, all of us. And so, thank you guys for talking about it and bringing me on today. Yeah, May. I I think the one thing that I continuously see, and especially I saw an article today from NBC News um, saying how black uh, allies should show up for, you know, the Asian community. And I think oftentimes those narratives are rooted in white supremacy, right? Putting two marginalized groups in this divisive narrative. And I was wondering, what should we be doing to combat that, right? What should we be doing to um, move past those narratives as asking um, everyone to kind of be allies and knowing that and, and, and basically showing support, um, but also making sure that people aren't feeling like they are the people that are supposed to solve an issue. Right, right. No, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up this topic because it is one that's oftentimes pretty com- controversial and it's very divisive. And yes, you know, pitting people of color against each other is a form of white supremacy. Um, it was, you know, it was founded on that idea of saying this, you know, community, minority community is better than the other. So why can't you be more like them? And so it creates this division and this conflict. And so if we can educate each other and really realize that it is ultimately white supremacy that is causing this friction and this conflict, we need to then have a better understanding of unification solidarity, to work together to really build that allyship. You know, words are a dime a dozen. We have to start acting now and educating each other about our own 
experiences, our own oppression, um, mm-hmm. our own racism that we've all experienced. And so, therefore, that is the connective tissue that's going to help build that empathy that I think is lacking, particularly with the Asian American community, because there's such little education when it comes to our experiences. It's that lack of empathy and understanding. So therefore, people think, oh, Asians, they're okay. They don't have any issues. There's no problem. So racism is something that is less understood, I think, when it comes to looking at the Asian community. Can I just say one thing, though? There is a new development about the Atlanta shooting. Okay. I know that authorities are saying, no, no, we can't call it racism yet. It's not a hate crime. Well, guess what? The Korean media, because four of the victims were Korean workers at the spas, they actually interviewed a uh, survivor, a witness. And so they interviewed this person in Korean. And he apparently said when the shooter walked in, he said, I'm going to kill all Asians. OK, well, there you go. Ooh, so let's OK. Oh, I want we want to we need to take a break, but we want to continue this conversation and talk about why the hate crime phrase is not being brought up from the media, yes. from authorities Good. and what you think about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're back with May Lee, the host of The May Lee Show and a veteran journalist. And right before this, it, you broke some news that actually someone who was there and was a witness said that he came in and said that. What did, he, what did this person say again? The shooter? Yeah, the shooter, the shooter, according to a witness who was there and then he was able to survive. He had told Korean media that the shooter had walked into one of the spas and said, I am going to kill all Asians. Wow. So the fact that this is coming out and not being reported by mainstream media and only by Korean media at this point, and the fact that investigators are not, you know, reporting this or maybe they don't even know about it, that's where I'm saying, what's going on here? Why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you calling it what it is, a hate crime, a race, you know, um, a race-related hate crime? And there's something that is so frustrating for all of us to try to understand and the resistance to calling a spade a spade. It's a hate crime. Yeah, and instead it's being wrapped into this fetishization and wrapped into this narrative of it being a, a sex addition, uh, which feels right. so disgusting. Um, and also it just it feels like, you know, this is another example of white supremacy not being held accountable for their actions. Well, it is the stereotyping that comes mm-hmm. out um, yeah. with this story. And I, I posted something on Instagram today because I was so infuriated by the narrative that was trying to be controlled, um, you know, calling this some sort of sexual you know, issue rather than a race issue. Well, guess what? The sexualization, the hypersexualization of Asian women has been going on for decades. And that is a form of racism. That is a form of oppression. It's the stereotype that we're all submissive and weak and, you know, this fantasy for white men. And so therefore they're starting, they're take, trying to take this narrative and just turning it into, Oh, it's a sex. It was a sex addiction. Addiction. It had nothing to do with race. It had a, everything to do with race. The guy targeted Asian spas. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me it had nothing to do with race and hate. He and don't tell me it had nothing to do with hate. He went and killed eight people. I don't know how much more hateful you can be. And and how should the media, like as someone who's obviously been in the media for many years, how are you seeing the media cover this and how can we all do better? Well, you know, in the beginning of all of this xenophobia, the media wasn't really covering this issue whatsoever. It was being completely ignored. Um, I have been talking about this for over a year now, you know, trying to raise the awareness. 
now because of the consistency of all of these assaults and crimes and, you know, the elderly being attacked and killed, um, and now the statistics are out that in most major cities, anti-Asian hate crimes have gone up by an average of 150%. Um, so now, finally, the general public and the media are starting to pay attention. But this is what my ask is. Okay, good, good that people are paying attention, but just don't sort of talk about it and do nothing. Now is the time to act. So this is my recommendation. Like this. Right. You guys aren't Asian, but I love the fact that you're talking about this. I love the fact that you're bringing it to your audience who may not have any kind of relationship with Asians or the Asian community. But because we're talking about it, you're using your platform to inform people outside of the Asian community. We cannot just speak about it in an echo chamber. We have to spread the word and the awareness and the education. And that is what starts inciting that change. Mm. And what I was speaking about earlier, the empathy. If we build that empathy and understanding, then more people will want to act. More people will want to do something. That's what I loved about the Black Lives Matter protest last year. People understood and they wanted to act and they marched and, you know, change started happening. So that's what needs to happen here as well. Well, thank you so much for being here on this very difficult day and during this very difficult time. Uh, that was May Lee, the host of The May Lee Show and a veteran journalist. Uh, we hope to have you back and we're here for you. Thank you so much. And I was glad to be on your show. So thanks, guys. Oh, you're incredible. You're so yes. strong and so amazing. Thank you so much. Coming up on the show, the president of, and CEO of GLAAD joins us at 345 Pacific, 645 p.m. Eastern to discuss the Equality Act being debated in the Senate today. And we've got top news headlines. What's trending this hour next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how should the media cover anti-trans bills? We've got the president and CEO of GLAAD joining us in 30 minutes. Also, the Equality Act is being debated on the Senate floor today. So we've got lots to talk about. A lot to talk about. But first up, I, I got to give a, a big round of applause to Mei Ling. Yes. Mei Li. Mei Li. My bad. Um, she's amazing. Yes. If you missed our conversation with Mei Li, she's a veteran journalist. Uh, she was here to talk about everything that happened in Atlanta and the support that the Asian community really needs. And so it was just amazing having her on. And she just understood so many, all of the nuances that we want to talk about here on the show. And this is the place we do it. Mm-hmm. The media is not going to do it. Well, you're definitely going to hear it here when the mainstream media doesn't talk about it. But uh, check it out on our podcast. Let's go there on the radio.com app or we are channelq.com. We're just posting the blog about it coming up very soon. Uh, but right now, let's get into uh, what's trending this hour. The president of HRC, Alfonso David, tweeted this video today about the Equality Act. As the late great civil rights giant, Representative John Lewis said two years ago when the Equality Act was introduced, it is a must that we do what is fair, what is right, and what is just. We need the Equality Act to set all of our people free. LGBTQ people live in every part of this country, in every small town and major city every community, every native territory. We are veterans, nurses, teachers, parents, artists. We are your colleagues. And all we are asking for is for the same protections under law that should be guaranteed to every single person in this nation. 
So that was, again, President of HRC, Alfonso David. He tweeted this video, but it was also aired via Zoom during the Senate hearing. Yeah, and I've had the opportunity to uh, to work with him. He's obviously been here on the show, mm-hmm. and he is a powerhouse. I'm so happy that he is, uh, one, getting the the opportunity to just use his voice and lend his voice and, and speak about these things because it's such an amazing uh, moment for him to, one, be the first black president of the HRC, and I think in its 40 years. Um, yeah, to be, well, essentially you would have to kind of be. <laughs> but I, I think it's, um, I think it's just beautiful what he's doing and what he said. And um, I, I just can't wait. I love our, our leaders. I, I really do. Sarah K. Ellis is joining us. Yes. CEO and president of GLAAD. Stay tuned for that. 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Again, just in case you need a reminder. And uh, finally, Representative Marilyn Strickland shared powerful words today reacting to the shootings in Atlanta. Racially motivated violence must be called out for exactly what it is. And we must stop making excuses or rebranding it as economic anxiety or sexual addiction. As a woman who is black and Korean, I'm acutely aware of how it feels to be erased or ignored and how the default position when violence is committed against people of color or women is to defer from confronting the hate that is often the motivation. Okay, good on her for sharing that. I mean, that was very powerful as well. It's an intense day today, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, But that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? I've been sitting here trying to figure out what song I want to play for this moment because um, Cara Delevingne, She's revealing something shocking, and we're most most definitely about to talk about it right now. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. And I got to say, I was not uh, really uh, thinking that this was ever going to be something that she would admit to. Uh, she's admitting that she was disgusted by same-sex relationships and suicidal before uh, coming to terms with her own sexuality. Uh, she revealed this news on Gwyneth Paltrow's podcast, Goop, saying, I grew up in an old-fashioned household. I didn't actually know anyone who was gay. I didn't know that that was a thing. And actually, I think growing up, I, I, um, I wasn't knowledgeable of the fact that I was homophobic. Um, Cara, who identifies as pansexual, also said that her fear of admitting her sexuality contributed to her struggle with massive depression and the suicidal moments in her life. Uh, She said, I was so ashamed of ever being that, but actually that was um, the part of me that I love so much and accept. Mm. And I think when you think about it, it really falls on the representation of what we're seeing in media and and how we're seeing the news um, being told and why that can reflect young folks into believing these things about themselves. Yeah, you have to see yourself somewhere to understand yourself. And know that it's acceptable, right? Yeah. And that it's not going to be like you're going to be alienated from the world if you live your truth. Yeah, it's growth. It's it's some some amazing growth. So it kind of felt like an early yes queen, Mm -hmm. but it also felt like a testament to what we're literally about to talk about with uh, in our next uh, coming up in our show. Uh, Yeah, of course, uh, we are talking to the president and CEO of GLAAD. But first, before that, how mass shootings can affect our mental health and the coverage from the media as well, and how to deal with it all that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. We've unfortunately covered this before about how mass shootings can affect our mental health. But this latest one is different with people equating sexual addiction with mass murders instead of looking at the underlying issues of white supremacy and the fetishization of Asian women. We've been discussing that on the show today with Mei Lee. 
Uh, and Dr. Josh Claypo is back with us, clinical psychologist, as we dive into all of this heavy, heavy stuff today. Uh, thanks for being here. Sure, it's my pleasure. So why is this latest narrative problematic? I don't, it's problematic because there's, there's multiple layers and we, we don't know the underlying motivation um, beyond what the shooter has said. And so when you have a, a mass shooting um, all targeted or focused on uh, a particular, 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 sorry, ethnicity or race, um, the obvious conclusion is that's what it is. Uh, but with the conflicting information and reports, we, we don't know for sure. At, at some level, it doesn't matter. It is definitely a targeting. Um, we don't know what the motivation was, whether it was because of Asian descent or not. I think the other problem we have, and this is what I'm hearing a lot of guys that concerns me, is this sort of equating sexual addiction, porn, and mass shootings. And that's concerning to me because that association is just not there in the research. And so I think we need to be careful about that piece as well. Yeah, it just seems like um, they're trying to pin this on something instead of pinning it on what it really is. and Like a distraction. <laughs> yeah, and are just uh, the yeah. uh, alleviating accountability. Mm. But I think yeah. when you're, there's so many people that uh, saw this story last night and that was like kind of like the the what's the phrase the straw that broke the camel's back where yeah. mental, people's mental is just not there at this point how do we continue to navigate in the in this world and in this space when it seems like mass shootings and especially when it's tied to your identity just continue to violence uh, affect so many communities across mm-hmm. this this world you know, we talk about it all the time. We talk about people becoming numb to it. We get used to hearing it. We get used to, and I think the reality is we, we don't get used to it. I think the, the problem we have is we are, and this is going to get a little political, um, but we, we don't know how to navigate in a way that dramatically reduces it because we tend to get stuck on issues around privacy, mental health, and gun control. I mean, it, it, it's always coming down to those issues. What is an individual's rights with respect to gun, gun ownership and possession? What is an individual's rights with respect to uh, mental health and uh, sanity versus insanity and mandatory um, commitment and those kinds of things? And we tend to err on the side of, for lack of a better word, freedom. And when we do that, these can be the consequences. Yeah, when they're saying he was a sex addict, what are they trying to say? Yeah, you know, look, so there are addictive behaviors associated with um, uh, pornography and sexual activity. Uh, And promiscuity, somebody who's sort of sleeping with lots of people, is not the same as a sex addict. When you think about someone who's addicted to sex, it is somebody who can't stop thinking about it, has to have it or have to engage in it or otherwise feels uh, on edge, anxious, um, beside themselves, almost like, and I'm going to clarify this, almost like obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm not equating those two, but people understand obsessive compulsive. And the problem you have is when you've got a sexual addiction like that, the uh, the way you respond to it is either going and having 
the the uh, activity or doing things like watching porn. And it is it is very distressing. But again, not most people who have an addiction like that do not go out and kill. There are other factors that were driving this guy beyond the addiction. Okay, uh, I did. Do we have 30 seconds where you can just answer, uh, you know, if people are dealing with a lot of stress and trauma right now, what is your advice? Yeah. I, I hate to say this, but if you are feeling overwhelmed, over, back off your, your taking in of information, number one. And number two, immediately do things that make you feel relaxed. Go meditate, go prayer, speak with other people. I know that that sounds very concrete, but if we're feeling overwhelmed, in the moment, that is the most healthy thing that we can do versus getting sucked into this and staying in it when we're not in an emotionally good place. Yeah, and text someone for help. There's so many uh, text lines uh, for mental health support and make an appointment with your therapist, yeah. that's for sure. Dr. Josh Claypo, thanks again for being with us today. Thanks, guys. Coming up, GLAD's media report is out why some of the top news outlets failed. GLAD president and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis joins us for that next. Glad's media report card called out major outlets like CNN, New York Times, and Newsweek for their coverage on the LGBTQ plus community and issues. And joining us to share why is Glad president and CEO, Sarah Kate Ellis. It's an honor to have you back. My favorite person ever. I adore being on this show. Thank you for having me back. And thank you for reporting on all of this important information for our community. Yeah, of course. And first, let's get into what the media report card is and why it's important. So this actually came out of our news and rapid response team. And it it happened overnight. We saw the media reports coming out of the congressional hearings on the Equality Act. And what they saw was that none of there was so few LGBTQ voices actually in the news coverage and that actually Marjorie Taylor Greene was getting more coverage around the Equality Act than the people that it was affecting, than our community. And so overnight, literally, our top news and rapid response person went through and evaluated all of the top um, news organizations and and did this report card because she wanted to make sure that they were being held accountable. Um, and so because we have, you know, we do this for a living is hold people accountable. It wasn't that hard of a stretch for us. But if you look at the report card, what you see is that there were not a lot of passes here, um, but there was a lot of a lot of news outlets, both print, journalism, digital, and um, television failed. They failed in their coverage, and the number one reason that they were failing or they, they failed was because they didn't have LGBTQ voices in these articles, and they would have anti-trans voices in these articles, and then they would never have a trans person to, re, uh, to retort that that. Um, whatever the anti-trans person said. Do you think newsrooms are still kind of in that perspective of just being clickbaity instead of actually pushing forth the right, you know, news that everyone needs to know and the voices that we need to hear? Are, are they still moving in that clickbaity world? I think there's a bit of the clickbaitiness going on. I think it's actually resources, <laughs> to be frank with you. In, in today's media world, 
especially in newsrooms, they're reporting on what comes in the door. So whatever they get, they don't have the time. You know, back in the day when you put forth an article or a story, you would have hours and hours of researchers fact-checking it and making sure that everything was accurate and making sure that your sources were credible. And because news moves so rapidly today, there isn't the same amount of time and scrutiny put against it. So they report what they get oftentimes. And then, of course, there is, you know, talking about the Marjorie Taylor Green element is very clickbaity because she caused the whole scene um, in being anti-trans. Yeah. And now when uh, when these outlets see Glad comes up with this, which is not a good look on them, are they getting back to you and saying, like, well, help us or like what happens next? Yeah, so they are actually. And, (laughs) you know, I'll just I want to preface this, too, with the fact that we did put out a journalist primer on the Equality Act so that when they were reporting on it, they had a, a reputable source. Uh, that then within that source also has people to talk to in our community that have suffered because there is no Equality Act or who is impacted or different angles for the stories to cover. Um, so that is why we felt very um, comfortable holding them accountable. But yes, they do reach out and they want to do the right thing. Um, and I think a lot of it, again, is resources and just knowing and being educated and knowing where where the information is. So we are working with a number of them now to to help them have more to their story and go more in depth on their story. And I think so this was the congressional hearings. Now, today was the Senate hearing. Yeah. Right? So Which is, we I'm want sure to get into that all over your your news today. Of course. Um, we want to wait. And We're taking we a are... break, Sarah Kate Ellis. We need it before we get into it. Sorry oh. to interrupt you. <laughs> Sorry. No. She got a ride. You're like break. reporting live from there right now. Um, we're going to be continuing this conversation because we want to get into the Equality Act hearing at the Senate today, um, how it brought up a lot of misinformation. We're going to de- debunk all of it with the GLAAD president and CEO, Sarah Kate Ellis, next. As the Equality Act continues to be debated in the Senate, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions, many bringing up the fact that it doesn't actually support women. I mean, there's a lot of things being pushed out there in social media and even traditional media. And back with us is GLAAD president and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis. Thanks again for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So can you please debunk some of this? Like, what are you seeing being said and and why does this continue? Well, I think that, you know, here's the deal. The Equality Act is a is a comprehensive piece of legislation that will protect our community once and for all. Um, and that is a really big deal. So I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of what we're hearing to push back is focused on two things or, or two or three things. Number one is re- religious um, freedom which is never under attack here in the United States of America. Everybody gets to practice their religious beliefs the way that they want to, where they want to. Um, what, what we are saying is that you cannot use your religion to discriminate against LGBTQ people out in public areas, um, denying service and things of that nature. Um, so those are basic civil rights, but it's being it's 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 blown up into into you know something way more that it's not at all. And then the other side of it is 
that we're seeing a real attack on our trans community, yeah. especially our trans youth yeah. around sports. Um, and a lot of, I, I mean, one of the failing grades that we gave um, for our reporting was one of the biggest ones was Newsweek. And the reason that happened was because one of the op-eds said that because if we pass the Equality Act, we can get, there will be no more women. Wow. <laughs> Which I mean, is amazing because I still consider myself a woman, and I think the Equality Act actually protects me as well. Um, and I think this this division that is being trying to be sown in the feminist world or in circles of women about you know trans women are women, and I don't think you have to be either or and. And I and I do believe that when when they are saying that this is, you know, anti feminist, that they are negating someone like me. They're negating bisexual, queer women and trans women. Um, so I, I think that there isn't a zero sum game here. Equality in America is good for everyone. And we've seen that play out time and time again. So. It's a lot of fear mongering that we're seeing. Nothing based in science, nothing based with facts. If you look at the facts and see what happens when trans girls are allowed to play in youth sports, actually girl participation goes up because it's it's seen as a more inclusive environment for yeah. even those girls that might not normally play. Yeah, and, and parents and, and kids shouldn't have to fight just to be themselves, right? It, it, it's it's getting to a point where it's ridiculous. But as we wrap this up, I would love to know your thoughts on everything that's kind of happening out in Atlanta. And, of course, our the queer community is so diverse with, I mean, one of the most diverse communities, I, w- I would say. I would love to just know some of your thoughts on, on the shooting that has happened and is impacting the AAPI community. Um, do you have anything to, to add to that? I think, well, you know, we were out early and it, with, you know, our support and our love um, and our sympathy for the AAPI community. And yes, many members of the LGBTQ community are also AAPI community members. Um, so this has directly affected our community in many ways. And I think that, you know, we have a culture right now that is that is brewing hate and, and discrimination. And, you know, I think that what we need to do is embrace each other and love each other, and especially our AAPI community. In this time of the coronavirus and these false narratives and this discrimination and the hate crimes being up against the community and discrimination being up against the community, we know what that feels like in the LGBTQ community. Um, we also had a very bad shooting at Pulse, um, as we all know. Yeah. Um, so we have offered our support and our help in any way that we possibly can. And we, we love our AAPI um, community and support them wholeheartedly. Well, thank you again for being with us and for everything that you do. Glad President and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis, you are welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up on the show, Dr. Fauci has something to say to Republican lawmakers who are refusing COVID vaccines. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
So we love to highlight segments from The Morning Beat. It's our morning show here at Channel Q because they have great guests on, great stories. And they had this guy, Juan Carlos Cruz, on, who's a survivor of clergy abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's the focus of a new documentary involving the Pope and a personal friend of the pontiff. And he, he gave... Uh, them this morning an eye-opening interview where he discussed what he's calling uh, potential dark forces at the Vatican. Here's a clip. There are so many forces that go against. I mean, when you think that, that when you think Da Vinci Code and you think, ah, oh, this movie is so fantastic, these things don't happen. Well, these things do happen, and the Vatican is full of people that, um, and it, this applies for for sexual abuse. That, that want to do bad things. They're dark people. And there's these dark forces that, that, that happen. And I don't want to go all QAnon on you, but, but there are these, these terrible forces that I thought a pope could just sign something and send them all packing, right? It's, it's very difficult. And this does not excuse what happened yesterday, I, by no means, because this has hurt me. It's hurt many people. It's hurt the whole LGBTQ community. So this is really interesting. I mean, it's not surprising. Just don't bring QAnon into everything. It kind of doesn't help your argument sometimes. Well, the morning show loves to talk about QAnon. I think that's something that they talk about. I don't have too much interest well, it was in this that. this guy, the guest. Yeah, well, I know, but regularly they like to talk about it. And then also, this guy's kind of going into that world. And I, I think, yes, there are some dark-sided things that are happening in, in the, the Catholic uh, church. We we all acknowledge that. And, and, and when we initially kind of talked about this, that was my main point of, one, why are y'all worried so much about us when you have people like this guy speaking to his experience who has been, unfortunately, a victim of sexual assault? Oh, yeah. And y'all are worried about who I love and who I want to marry and all these things and, and the Pope for not standing up for what it seems like he does believe in. He believes in the rights of same-sex marriages, but unfortunately, he's being bullied into thinking something else and are having to say something else publicly. And for me... That is just um, weak sauce. It, it, it feels like uh, he shouldn't be in that position um, because if he can't stick up for everyone who considers themselves a Catholic or worships in that church, then what are you there for? Literally, well, yeah. what are you there for? Well, this guy, Juan Carlos Cruz, he, as you mentioned, he's uh, he is a sex abuse victim. He is gay. He uh, reportedly in 2018 met with Francis and the Pope had told him, this is according to him, that God made you like this and he loves you. But then he he's saying that the new uh, statement issued by Vatican officials are completely in a world of their own away from people and trying to defend the indefensible. And he actually thinks that it's not Francis doing this. It's more the people around him and that they're undermining efforts by Francis to create a more inclusive church. Yeah, either way. There's accountability on all fronts, and Pope Francis has to deal with what he is doing if he's uh, if he doesn't know this stuff is happening and people are just sending these things out. But he has a part to play in it as well. And um, yeah, I'm I'm happy that this guy is able to talk. And if you want to check out that full interview, because it was like a 24 minute interview, it's on our website actually at WeAreChannelQ.com. Just uh, check out the Morning Beat in the tab where it says Shows, and you'll be able to find it. Yeah, and listen to the Morning Beat live here on Channel Q six to 10 a.m. Pacific, 9 to 1 p.m. Eastern. Coming up on the show, why do we love to hate read and what to do to stop it? That's next. 
We can be our own worst enemies, consuming things that aren't good for us or for our mental health. But why do we fall into this cycle? Amira Johnson is with us, who's an Atlanta-based therapist, and was part of this great article that inspired us to cover this on Mike.com. The title is Why We Love to Hate Read. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So what is hate reading exactly? So I would say, in my opinion, hate reading is looking for an article, uh, Instagram post, or just anything that has, like, an opposing opinion to, like, what you believe. And you go deep into reading into it so that you can kind of, like, confirm whatever your truth is opposed to whatever you're reading. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, why do you think we have such a, a kind of, like, this uh, magnetic pull to the, the mm-hmm. that hate reading? Because it does feel like I was, I was like, oh, wow, this may be me. Because sometimes I do feel like I find myself looking at things knowing mm-hmm. that this is going to, like, get me worked up. But I still subject myself to it. Right. Um, honestly, and, like, in my opinion, I feel like as human beings, we are, like, a culmination of different, like, thoughts, beliefs, perspectives, ideas, just anything that we kind of conform to and believe as a whole. And we like to validate our own truth. And by hate reading, it kind of validates that, like, whatever's being said doesn't resonate. So if it doesn't resonate, then to you, that means it's not true. Do we see ourselves doing this more often now? And why? Um, I would say yes, simply because we're in the social media age. And yeah. so information is just out there at this point, you know. And so it's easier for you to go and look for different things that you may not necessarily agree with. Also, there's a bit of a hit that happens, right? Like in your brain, chemically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like as human beings, like we're used to dualism. We're used to, you know, like having some sort of like chaos. Everything's not always peaceful, you know. And so to get that chaos or to get that drama or to get that, you know, like that feeling that you're looking for, you go and look for things that don't necessarily resonate with who you essentially are Which or is, who you believe that you are. I mean, that's actually really interesting that you bring that up because I think the pandemic when we're in isolation, mm-hmm. we don't have anyone mm-hmm. to argue with. And so it seems like right. we either read what we find or we go on apps like Clubhouse. And I have mm-hmm. looked at rooms where there are probably like the titles are completely homophobic or transphobic. And mm-hmm. I still go in. I still click it. You knowing do? being like, oh, I this is about know. to be. Because I just I can't. I can't do it. I think so I do it because I have the right intentions of being like, I need to just know what what's happening mm-hmm. outside of my bubble True. because my bubble around yeah. me is so already mm-hmm. we're very quote unquote what the kids would say woke um but it's shocking sometimes to know that there are people that still think in in these old ways and so even mm-hmm. when it's not reading how does that apply to you know other forms of digital kind of content or our social media and how should mm-hmm. we stop ourselves from kind of getting into those places of being like, well, we know it's not good for us, but we still do it. I just Mm -hmm. don't know how to stop myself. (laughs) I think it's kind of like you have to ask yourself what your personal intention is, because it's one thing to like go into a room on Clubhouse about like homophobia and like you don't agree with it necessarily, but you do kind of want to know like what other people think about it. Because maybe, you know, subconsciously you're like, well, maybe this has a point, maybe it doesn't. And so you're kind of like trying to figure out, well, is what I believe true? Or, you know, just trying to like confirm within yourself that mm-hmm. that, you know, like what they're saying is wrong. Um, so it's just natural as human for us to be curious about other things, you know. What can we do to stop the cycle if we're not enjoying this to part of ourselves? Cycle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would say be more intentional. Like, do you want to continue feeding yourself that negativity? Because what is it doing for you? 
like what is the why behind that you know like is it just giving me validation like does it make me feel better about myself like what is it doing and even if it's doing that for that split second like making you feel better or making you feel like your truth is actually accurate to you in the long run like getting all that information can kind of have a negative effect too because now you may not be as open you may be a little bit more closed off so like if somebody does say something you don't agree with it's like nope my perspective is right. I validate my truth all the time. You know what I mean? Because you're consistently going into these things that you know you don't agree with. I think just, we just all have to be intentional with our time. There's so much out there these days. Like, really focus on what mm-hmm. brings you joy. And while it might be something might be intriguing, you have to understand if mm-hmm. it's worth your time. We only have right. so much time and energy. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Amira Johnson, right. uh, we appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, Amira Johnson is an Atlanta-based therapist. Check out that article in Mike.com, too, Why We Love to Hate Read. It's a good read. (laughs) Coming up on the show, uh, Tinder has introduced background checks to increase dating safety. How it's actually going to work that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So Tinder has announced that it will soon offer accurate background information on U.S. members. So potential dates can more thoroughly check each other out. That is really fascinating. I mean, does that make you feel comfortable that someone be able to do a background check on you and you'd be able to do a background check on someone else? Yeah, girl, because I'm already doing a background check on them because um, I'm checking their socials. Uh I'm checking their, um, I'm checking, yeah, ever anything that I can find on the internet about. Remember, there was a guy that I was talking to in the summer on an app and um, I just wanted to know more about who he was. Uh-huh. And I ended up Google searching that he was like this playwright and I found his Instagram through that. And all I had to do was Google his name. It's super simple. I have nothing to hide. So I have no problem with d- people doing a background check on me, even yeah. though don't you need like personal information to be able to do that? I think it's more about if you're like a sex offender, if you have any past week. Maybe oh well, then like yeah, I think people should. You need to know if you're dealing with crazy before you got you get in bed with crazy. Well, so listen to this. Um, I guess a 2019 investigation by ProPublica discovered that registered sex offenders were listed on a number of the dating apps. Women have even been killed by their Tinder dates, as well as probably men, uh, some members. Yeah, I remember the Craigslist killer killer when the on Craig when Craigslist was popping, yeah. and the people would die by meeting somebody, and there was a there was a murderer literally oh, killing God. folks on from Craigslist. Well, it happened. You got to be safe out here. Totally. Match Group, which is the company that owns Tinder, has partnered with Garbo, a nonprofit background checking platform to provide the low cost service. It was founded three years ago by female survivors of violence. They collect information for its background checks from public records and reports of violence or abuse, including arrests, convictions, restraining orders, harassments and other crimes. Checks will not include drug possession charges, though. You know what? I'm actually kind of shocked that apps, if you match with someone, follow me here, because mm-hmm. I'm about to take us on a ride. If you match with someone and y'all both match with each other and y'all both decide to go on a date, mm-hmm. right? And y'all like put somehow in the app, like, oh, we're going on a date together. I'm surprised that the app doesn't set off some type of tracking thing where mm-hmm. it can track and, and create like an emergency totally. button for whoever the party is. So when you're on that first date, if something goes wrong, you can literally like kind of low key, like hit that button. Or if you're not and seen then the and then like out. the last time you like, the tracking thing you press that and then it's obvious what happened it was with that person 
Yes, here. That's what the tracking is. <laughs> Thank you for the pitch. <laughs> I was just clarifying your pitch, Ryan. I, I think I handled it pretty well. well uh, obviously, Vanessa, you didn't if I had some other questions. From, because you're not, uh, you're in a relationship. You can't speak to this. So, producer Vanessa, as Wait the other second. single person um, in the room, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Hello, yes, I'm single. Call me. Just kidding. I go on the apps, and what I do is oh. okay <laughs> what's your strategy yeah my strategy is you share your location with your friends yeah right or come up with the um a term like so if i say uh, if i text I, I always tell my friends oh if i text you a color or something that means give me a call so i can have an excuse to get the f out you like i literally to do that so um vanessa what else do you do <laughs> You don't, you don't trust me to help you in situations No, of because I don't trust you because Shira has short-term memory loss, no. and she'll be like, uh, "What red? What do you mean? I like that color, too. That's a great color, actually. I was just thinking about dyeing my hair this color. So, no, I wouldn't. Oh, wow. Okay. Coming up on the show, uh, the trans teen who schooled Lindsey Graham today during the Equality Act hearing. We're playing her clip next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now coming up on the show, uh, more on the shootings in Atlanta last night and the the demand to stop Asian hate, plus how you can be an ally to the Asian community right now while they they keep facing this violence and anti-Asian racism. And we've got a veteran journalist with us, Mei Lee, who uh, is sharing some really powerful stuff. So please hang out with us for that conversation. Now let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. A little early Yaz Queen, a transgender teen, Stella Keating, emerged as the star of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on the Equality Act today, while opponents of the bill claimed it would end women's sports and lead to lawsuits against houses of worship and clergy members. Stella stood out with this powerful statement. Right now, I live in a state with, where I have equal protection under the law. And as a high school sophomore, I'm starting to look at colleges. And all I can think about is this. Less than half of the states in our country provide equal protection for me under the law. What happens if I want to attend a college in a state that doesn't protect me? Right now, I could be denied medical care or be evicted for simply being transgender in many states. How is that even right? How is that even American? What if I'm offered a dream job in a state where I can be discriminated against? And why am I having to worry about all this at the age of 16? This is the United States of America. I have big goals for mine. In addition to becoming a civil rights attorney, I'm determined to run for public office. I represent America's future. Yes, got chills with that. Stella, yeah, that was Stella Keating, a 16-year-old trans girl from Washington State who testified in favor of the bill, obviously, the Equality Act. Uh, She is the founder of the Gender Cool Project, aimed at advancing understanding of trans and non-binary people and as you heard, wants to be a civil rights attorney and eventually run for public office. Early as queen. Yes, queen. And finally, we got some housekeeping here. The IRS said uh, today it is delaying the April 15th tax filing deadline to May 17th. Delayed one month, giving taxpayers, all of us, more time to prepare our filings because of uh, this pandemic-related tax changes. And so they're giving us a little break there. Uh, They said the federal income tax filing due date for individuals for the 2020 tax year will be automatically extended. This will happen automatically. So just don't file those forms. 
et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go through everything, but uh, these changes don't apply to state tax returns and payments, the IRS noted, and the relief does not apply to estimated tax payments that are still due on April 15th, 2021. I mean, half the times I can't even keep up with all these dates, but <laughs> I mean, just it's true. get some help, get some support if you can. It's true. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about Lizzo. Today is a pretty uh, big day for her. Um, Mm -hmm. She's remembering her late dad um, after uh, 12 years after his death. And uh, she shared this beautiful tribute to her late father. um, And she shared a letter to her dad on her Instagram story. Um, She's right. She said this, love never dies. Today, um, she shared some throwback photos with her father, paired with a sweet tribute to him. She said, 12 years since we lost you, dad. I wish you... Uh, could see this, I'd say you wouldn't believe it, but you knew what I would achieve even back when I couldn't. Hug your people today, y'all. Tell them you love them. It matters. All the hugs and love I gave my daddy are still here, and I can feel it. Love never dies. Hmm. I mean, I saw this, and I thought, wow, one, Lizzo has had just an incredible life, and I've never, I haven't lost a parent, thankfully, knock on wood. Um, But just to, to know that the person who Lizzo's become, she really thanks her dad for that, right? And mm-hmm. and also, no shade, if y'all go check on her Insta story, her uh, her daddy was fine. Like, he was really cute. Like, very cute. Um, you can check out um, more of what she had to say, because actually on Twitter... It's really interesting. This time around 2019, she said, 2009 was the year my daddy died. 2009 was the year I lived in my car and cried myself to sleep on Thanksgiving. 2019 is the year my album and song went number one. 2019 is the year I told my mama I can buy her a house. Anything can happen in a decade. Tomorrow is the new beginning of your anything. Mm. And um, I'm just, I'm obsessed with her. And I thought that was a beautiful story to kind of, you know, end the tea report today for today's show. That's it. Head over to WeirdChannelQ.com to check out any of the stories that I've covered. And, of course, keep us followed at uh, Let's Go th- uh, Let's Go There, our LGT show. What, yeah, what, that's LGT it, right? show. That's it. Um, and that's your tea report. Love it. Don't take the people you love for granted. It's a reminder, too. Mm-hmm. We're n- none of us are getting younger. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. A Brooklyn pharmacist, Ambar Kaliskar, found himself with hundreds of doses of the coronavirus vaccine sitting in his freezer. Imagine. He didn't know what to do with it. He'd posted ads everywhere and still... Nothing. So he decided to go out to the people and he started with an LGBTQ senior center. Over 50 vulnerable elders at Stonewall House, an affordable housing complex, got their first shots protecting them from COVID because of AMBAR. Uh, And New York's laws surrounding vaccine eligibility uh, requires pharmacists to limit who they can give the vaccine to. And he actually is limited to those over the age of 60 teachers and child care workers. And so a lot of seniors, as we know, are having issues booking vaccine appointments online. So he stopped trying to get people to book them online and in person to come to get a vaccine and started just going to people. And he found that there were a lot of people that needed them that weren't doing the work to go to the pharmacies or to where these vaccine centers are. And so uh, one of the people, Stonewall House resident Emma de Jesus said, I can't handle the phone because they're 78 years old. Everything is on the computer now, and I don't have a computer. Oh. I know. Yeah. And since word got out, 
Uh, he's making house calls and he's administered over 2,000 doses right now. And he's really wanting the state government to lift restrictions, holding him back from administering more shots so he could help even more people. So this is a really nice story to come out of this um, as you know, people like him are trying to do the best they can. And it is wild how pharmacists have the the vaccines, the shots, and can't get them out. Yeah. Right? It's, it's really sad. It's really sad. But um, I, I'm glad there's some type of silver lining here. Exactly. Yeah. So, yes, Queen to Ambar. Yes, Queen. And if you want to nominate anyone for a Yes, Queen of the day, anyone who's doing good in this world, hit us up on social media at LGT Show. And that does it for our show today. Mm-hmm. But we are back tomorrow, same time here, weekdays on Channel Q, live, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern on tomorrow's show. Of course, we got the latest... What's trending this hour in the news? Plus, there's been a really scary spike in liver disease among young women. So could it be from pandemic drinking? That's scary. We'll be getting into that tomorrow. And if you miss any of our shows and our interviews, please check out our podcast. Catch up on everything. Just search Let's Go There on the Radio.com app or where podcasts are available. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line, where Dr. Chris will be covering signs of childhood abuse. That's next. Bye, y'all.